your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlc pod they bring the show to you and in return they get some cool stuff including ad-free episodes they get video versions of the show although not this week because christian's still out and an entire bonus show we call paid dlc it features myself, Lana Bashinsky, and for uh, the last few weeks, Danish Syed, special guest, filling in for Christian, who is who is out right now. And uh, it's been a blast. I hope you've checked that out. Patrons get that show exclusive to them. So check it out, patreon.com slash DLCpod. DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, the spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined this week once again because Christian is somewhere out there beneath the pale blue sky. Uh, joined once again by our friend, Lana Bashinsky. Hi, Lana. How are you? Hi, Jeff. I am so good. You know, it goes unspoken. Nobody needs to say it, but I will. Krishna is slacking. I'm here to pick up the slack. I'm happy that I could be here um, and hopefully fill uh, a slightly Christian-shaped hole in everybody's hearts for the last couple weeks. <laughs> You're reshaping that hole right now. Oh, yeah. I'm like, this yeah. is what you get. Traveling the world. <laughs> Whatever. Uh- <laughs> It's it's awesome to have you on the main show. Of course, Lana's been uh, been almost in in almost every uh, of the paid shows uh, lately, and it's been awesome having you there too. So, uh, folks can uh, can double dip on the Lana Bashinsky uh, by mm-hmm. uh, by becoming patrons. So, yeah. I highly encourage it. It is an unstructured, crazy show of nonsense. Um, <laughs> unlike this one, which is highly structured and and very prepared. Oh yeah, there's bumpers. If there's a oh, bumper. Yes. It just whatever comes after the bumper is immediately validated as being very on top of things. <laughs> well, I look forward to uh, validation happening numerous times this episode. Hey, <laughs> we got lots to talk about. We got lots to dig into. Uh, you know, it's a kind of a lull for releases, but we still got big stuff to to talk about. I think we're gonna do some tabletop time this episode. And all of that is because we have an awesome guest to do all of this with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata, usually your downloadable Christian, eh, not, uh, not in the last few weeks. But this week, we are excited because once again, DLC stands for Developer Literary Contributions because we have the author of the Game Dev Business Handbook, as well as the co-host of the Virtual Economy Podcast, our friend Michael Futter is back with us. Hey, Mike. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. It's always so much fun to talk to you. I love reading your uh, your Twitter feed all the time. You feel like you keep me up to date with the the real serious business side of things. Your podcast <laughs> is awesome. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm always delighted to chat with you. Likewise. I'm very, very excited. Very cool. All right. Well, let's dive in. 
and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. The show just got, just got legitimate, right, Lana? Because we had a bumper. Yes. That's what a bumper does. Yes, you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love hearing from folks at the email. If you've got comments, questions, anything you'd like to hear us or like us to know about, email us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also participate in one of our communities. We have a subreddit at 5x5dlc.reddit.com and a Discord, which is also 5x5dlc. Those are both uh, fan-run places, but they're full of cool people. Highly recommend you check them out. Join the community. Hang out. But, Mike, you are our guest. You get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Ooh, that is a tough one because uh, there are some good contenders. But, yeah, let's talk about um, this report out of Bloomberg that Blizzard and Netties pulled the plug on a game that was three years in development. Yes, the uh, long-rumored, in fact, confirmed a uh, long, uh, decades-long sort of uh, uh, people been pining away for a World of Warcraft mobile game, a mm-hmm. full-on version of World of Warcraft. We don't really know exactly how close to the MMO this uh, this mobile version was going to be, but we know that it will not be <laughs> anymore. Uh, this is a, a joint decision that it sounds like comes down to money as so many decisions yeah. do classic yeah what do you make of this mike first of all were you kind of i mean this would have been i think a big deal we already saw the obviously uh you know diablo immortal mm-hmm. uh, blizzard kind of moving into that mobile space in a big way and it's a controversial game for a lot of folks but it, you can't argue with the fact that it's making gobs of money um and doing very very well so this feels like it had to have been a real untenable agreement for them not to move forward with this because i feel like at the very least, this game would have made money. Sure, absolutely. And I think this was the big thing that even when Diablo Immortal was announced and hit all of that friction at BlizzCon, you know, uh, my partner Amanda, when she was writing over at Game Daily, like the, her perspective was, this is going to print money. And sure enough, Diablo Immortal has. And I think the same thing, as you said, would have been the case here, that a mobile version of World of Warcraft, even if it was... Uh, an MMO or a mobile MMO that wasn't aligned with the the game that everybody knows, but brought people in. And even if it wasn't huge in the West, and I think that's what, you know, because obviously our social media bubbles are people in the West. We're probably not the prime target audience for a game like this. Mobile use is significantly higher in Asia. And this is, this is a huge blow to, you know, obviously you've got the sunk cost of three years of development, according to the Bloomberg report, a hundred person team that's been disbanded. Some of those people, of course, you know, moving on to other teams, but there's a longstanding relationship between Blizzard and NetEase. That's their partner in China. And you know that if you're going to be bringing your games uh, into, into China, especially you need to have a local partner. And for a lot of people that's Tencent or for a lot of companies that's Tencent. So there, there's definitely some some friction here and, and some strangeness. And if you look at 
Activision's earnings, they reported this week, things aren't looking great over there. Everybody's down. Sure, the, the market's really tough. But Blizzard managed to to increase its engagement, but that's on the back of Diablo Immortal, probably. Mm-hmm. That's not because of anything else they're doing. They haven't released any major games. Activision's down. Call of Duty is down. Uh, King is is down. Like if you look at King, that their their monthly active users are down eleven and a half percent, and they're down quarter over quarter too. So so things are pretty rough for them. So to lose this and to have this report come out at the same time, I, I don't want to say it's devastating, and it, it might in fact help Microsoft's case for the acquisition, but it ain't great. Well, I'm I'm you know the the reports uh, out of Bloomberg are are pretty vague as to what the nitty gritty of the mm-hmm. of the reasoning is on this. I wonder if, do you have any speculation? I mean, basically all they say is a disagreement over financial terms, yeah. but do you have any I, insight? I, I, I don't. And and the reason why, why it's probably not in the report is depending on who the sources are, they might not have insight into that as well. Yeah. But those are people who are working on the project side and you know, they, they know just that it's been canceled and they've heard internally that there was a dispute or a disagreement between Blizzard and Netties. That's all they're able to share with, with an outlet reporting on this. Yeah. So this isn't the kind of stuff that we would typically have a whole lot of insight into unless one of those sources was intimately familiar with the, with the finances. Probably if it was in fact about financial terms, it's everybody wanted more than they were going to get. Yeah. Right. And you know, Activision wasn't willing to give up as much as Netties wanted or Netties wasn't willing to give up as much as it wanted or Activision might have even tried to renegotiate on the success of Diablo Immortal or vice versa. Netties could have tried to, mm-hmm. uh, could have tried to renegotiate based on that success mm-hmm. uh, because Netties was, was intimately involved in, uh, in the development, obviously. So this is one of those things where someone probably tried to change the deal because you yeah. don't enter into an agreement like this to develop a game and work on it for three years without having some kind of understanding in place of who's going to be getting what once that game launches. It's, it is so fascinating though, because exactly like you said, like maybe after the success of Diablo Immortal, like somebody's trying to renegotiate something in some way. But if that is the case, and both companies would, they must see the success of Diablo Immortal and be like, we both want to get here because us creating whatever this is, as well, if that's going to be like Diablo Immortal's success, then we want that. But to get to a place where you're so in such disagreement that like, well, then now nobody gets any money. It seems yeah. like Wild. such an extreme or like petty or like I have no idea what it would be. Like if Blizzard's like, hey, if you really want to do this, then you have to pay us X, like we get X much more. And then they're like, well, now we're not going to do it at all. And they just cancel it. would be like, what? <laughs> that seems insane. I guess I wouldn't put it past anybody, you know, in the corporate world and like global relations, like who knows. But I find that it's so fascinating because if it's been in development for years, I just, it's whatever the vagueness of these financial terms are, I'm just, I guess, financially uh, illiterate in such a way that I can't imagine what would be the purely financial reason for the cancellation. Yeah. Unless there was like a change in leadership and now there's no faith in whoever the new leadership is. Like I, I feel like there's gotta be more than just the finances because I feel like both parties would want the finances to work out, especially on the heels of Diablo Immortal. Sure. 
Now, I I think what's interesting here is we've been talking about the revenue side of the equation. And I think you're right. I think it's it's a hard conversation to have. It's like, okay, neither of us are going to get money that we know is a sure thing. But let's talk about the expense side of the equation, because I think that's that might be where the sticking point is. If the game should have been done by now or Mm. should have been done next year or whatever was off its time. Mm -hmm. And Nettie's came back and said, you need the bill now is the question. Exactly. Yeah. And given what we're looking at with Activision, given what we're looking at in the mobile space right now. So the one thing that's that's important to note is that, yeah, this is a known property. It's World of Warcraft. I'm sure it would have done well if, well, (laughs) every mobile property relies on advertising in some way. And we know that there has been kind of an apocalypse in the mobile space because of the privacy changes that were made for iOS devices and that are coming soon for Android devices. Um, If you have an iOS device, you saw at some point a pop-up that said when you installed a new app and opened it for the first time, do you want to let this app track you across websites and other apps? And most people are just clicking no. Why would I let, why would I let anybody do that? It's for Facebook. That's why Facebook had the, uh, had a dip for the first time. And it's why we're seeing decreases at unity. Unity's hit hard times. I expect that when Zynga, if, well, we're going to see what kind of granularity we get out of Zynga tomorrow. It'll be the first time that uh, Zynga reports as part of take two, because that acquisition completed last quarter. So we'll get a sense of, of what's going on there. Uh, King is the only one uh, talking about Activision though. Their ad business is up 20% year over year, which is bucking a trend. So, if we're looking at the privacy issues in mobile, if we're looking at a potentially prolonged uh, development cycle that is going to cost who knows how much money, it could just be that they couldn't come to terms on an extended on on extending the development and making the game a reality. Maybe the game wasn't shaping up terribly well, and this was a we're not going to throw good money after bad decision. That is, I think you've made a, a really strong point there because I, I had the same reaction Atlanta did, where I was like. Are we arguing about percentages of profit? Are we, are we arguing like, I want 70, 30, oh, no way. But it, it, it does make way more sense for it to be like, hey, we've been working on this for three years. It's going to take two more years to get it done. Two more years and X number of millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, and- yeah. Who's going to put that on their books for now, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, promised profits for some future date when this actually releases? Who's going to, you know, come up with that cash now? I think that is that's much more likely, I think. Yeah. And you gotta wonder how much of this factored into the Microsoft value the valuation with the Microsoft acquisition. Yeah. And is this a commitment that Activision was willing to make? Again, development is a fickle thing. And if the game wasn't shaping up well, if it wasn't delivering an experience that felt like World of Warcraft and people weren't happy with it, then it could just be a matter of the game needs to go back to go back to the studs we need to rebuild it it needs to be completely refactored uh and everybody could have looked at it and said blizzard could have said no we're not gonna we're not gonna send more money yeah which i actually think is kind of heartening in a way like it's sad when games get canceled obviously but also to some degree i'm like oh good like maybe the Mm -hmm. other decision would have made people who are working on that game have to just grind themselves to the bone to try and get it done. Or like, I always think about like what the alternatives are. And when people make health, like what feels like healthy choices um, that I was like, yeah, you know what? Good, good, good. In some way, good. Um, 
And maybe especially if like for whatever reason that money that is not being spent on this thing now gets put back into other other products or other games that people are going to love and, and helps them get the support they need. I feel like like maybe that's the silver lining. But I also feel like I'm such a pessimist that I'm like, how how much of this is Bobby just trying to get himself in a good position before yeah. he gets the official boot? <laughs> Like what is what's in it for him is sort of like always in my yeah. mind. No, um, not a not a not a uh, illogical assumption to be made. You know, it's uh, not at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I will say though, from a from a player's perspective, from a gamer's perspective, you know, as somebody who you know periodically is very very into World of Warcraft, it doesn't sound like this is the dream that I always had, which was take my World of Warcraft character with me and wherever I am, I can play it. It does seem like this was going to be a different game. Uh, supposedly, it was set in the same universe as WoW, but focused on a different time period. So it wasn't like it was WoW portable or anything like that. It, it really was a different game using that IP. And also of note, uh, there was uh, another mobile Warcraft-based title that has been canceled. And that is the one that was going to be sort of a Pokemon Go AR game, which evidently was codenamed Orbis, uh, but now is is uh, codenamed Nobis. <laughs> no? no, okay, uh, I thought I'd try it. Uh, anyway, so it's not the only game to be uh, to hit the cut, uh, cutting room floor, the cutting block, and I I think it's exactly what you're talking about, Mike, with with all of this upheaval and and all of the the stuff that's going on internally at, at Activision Blizzard. It just it just feels like you know, scorched earth over there a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But I'm, but here's the thing. If the Microsoft acquisition does go through, you may eventually get your dream of that portable wow experience through Xbox cloud. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. That'd be cool. I would, I would be into that. I hope yeah. so. I mean, I think, I think they've always resisted that because it could potentially hurt the experience for, you know, people that are in a party or in a raid and somebody's you know on the bus you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I could understand that being a, not, not an ideal MMO experience, no. but, but, you know, I've always, when I, you know, when I've been super into wow, it's like, oh, I can only play when I'm at home. <laughs> it's never so- good when your healer <laughs> drops in the middle of a raid. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm just trying to think of what, so my experience with World of Warcraft is pretty limited. I, I never got into it because when it came out, I was broke and then I just whatever. I just never got into it. And the times that I tried, I'd be like, cool, I'll like play for an hour and it'll be fun. And then after a while, I'm like, there's nothing I can do in this game that is I can reasonably done in an hour yeah. worth of time. And then I would stop playing. Well, so, yeah, that's I mean, the years that I was most into WoW are years, you know, pre-children when I would have, you know, <laughs> uh, when I would spend literally I like it would be 10 p.m. at night and be like, oh, I'm never got dressed today or showered. I just played WoW all day. <laughs> I'm thinking like what like even in like that MMO I feel like the MMO you'd have to make for that mobile experience is something that feels more like Lost Ark where you're like okay yeah. how many quests can I get done oh pick up the flowers and give it to this person oh the flowers are literally on top of my character already oh the person I need to deliver them to is one <laughs> you know well inch away on the screen I'd be like great I could do so many quests in an hour in five minutes on the bus I could do 50 quests like I mean to their credit they they kind of figured that out with Diablo Immortal like that that you know people have legit gripes about that game, but it is pretty sound as far as a mobile designed experience. I think Mm -hmm. it it, it really is what you're describing, which, you know, not everything on top of each other, but accomplishable things in short bursts and, 
you know, it really feels like a game that I can play on the go. Mm-hmm. So I, I have confidence they could have figured that out, but not not anytime soon because these things have been canceled. Hashtag not my wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lana, what is your story of the week? <laughs> um, my story of the week is the Stardew Valley creator, Eric Barone, shares first screenshot of next game. Uh, apparently, uh, back in October 21, uh, October, sorry, October 2021, he, he announced his upcoming project, Haunted Chocolatier, uh, and it shared a screenshot of that. Um and it's gotten a lot of a lot of buzz and a lot of love in a very short period of time, um, which is cool. Like all that's cool, but the thing that makes it very fascinating to me is, um, as it often is from the development side, he's like a solo creator. So he's like, "Here's this screenshot. I hope this is enough to tide you over for, for <laughs> a question mark amount of time." All right, um, back to my basement. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I came up for air to get the signal to do this, but then back yeah. to no distraction. Um, so I think that's uh, always fascinating as a, as a solo developer, but I also think it's interesting and admirable in a way. Uh, I don't know much about Stardew Valley. I haven't played it, but I'm assuming that it was a solo developed project as well. If anybody mm-hmm. knows, knows like I can just Google it later, I guess. Um, but for somebody who, I mean, Stardew Valley has done super well. If he's made it by himself, I can only imagine he's doing very well. And it could be a point where he's like, I'm going to hire a team and do this. But it speaks of somebody who really has just like a love for what they're doing and a pa- like a passion for development where they're like, no, I did this in the way I wanted to. And I'm going to do the next one the, the way I wanted to, too. Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, if nothing else, just that that level of work ethic and uh, and a variety of skill sets that all, you know, come into play as a solo developer. It's very impressive. And you, you're not wrong. Stardew Valley, massive hit, right? I can play it on my Tesla. It's, yeah. uh, it's everywhere. Uh, and uh, to actually go from that and go, I will do this again by my, I will push this boulder back up the mountain again. Uh, that's, that's impressive on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think, Atlanta? What do you think of, I mean, all we have is this one very vague looking, you know, very <laughs> non-specific screenshot uh, and yeah. the title but the title is very evocative haunted chocolatier evidently you play uh a chocolatier who has to make uh candies uh, you know willy wonka style uh with ghosts flying around that's kind of cool is that what they actually said the plot of the game was yeah it says uh quote uh you'll need to gather ingredients make chocolate and fight Uh ghouls to be successful see that's just so cute i just i almost feel like you know uh uh, what's his name? Eric uh, Eric Barone, which is like yeah. okay, concerned what's, ape himself. What's, what's next? It like just pulls into a hat. Okay, chocolatier, <laughs> ghosts, and he's like, I got it. That's it. That's the one. Uh, the screenshot itself. I mean, it looks very cozy uh, because it's a chocolatier. My brain is just telling me this is like a Willy Wonka situation where it's all made of chocolate. Um, but who knows? Um, I don't know. I just think that's a cute premise. I think like the like the wholesome nature of something like that, and you know, people love cooking games uh, or cooking elements in games, and so having like going through this world and thwarting ghosts while you're making stuff just seems like a cute combination of the things people it does. seem to enjoy and something just, unique and interesting, right? Go yeah. ahead, Mike. I, I'm sad. The internet's going to boil it down to which ghost are you shipped with? 
<laughs> which ghost are you going to marry? Yeah, right. Uh, oh, and which man. and which candy will will go alongside that? Yeah, please. They're shipping you with the candies that you make. The ghosts? <laughs> no, they're just trouble. They'll ship me with like the everlasting gobstopper or whatever, and let's call it a day. Um, it's interesting to me because Stardew Valley is such a um, how would I describe it? It's, it's such a sort of a macro idea. It's like, hey, you got to do everything. You got to you know, cultivate your farm to live and eat, but you also have to solve everybody's problems and investigate the town. And it's, it's find pretty great. Love. What's that? Find love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's such a big scope that it feels like this is, as a second game, it feels like this is more of a focused, refined scope. It looks, it, it feels narrower in sco- scope to me uh, for a second game, which is not usually the direction developers go. It feels like it feels like this could be a subset of Stardew Valley. Like you could find the the chocolatier in Stardew Valley, you know? You know, I don't know about that. I don't know if you've ever been to like a chocolate shop, but I get the mad choice paralysis looking out over the sea of various <laughs> uh, choices. So I, I imagine there'll be some uh, some variety. And who knows what goes into that? You're like, okay, is it milk? Is it dark dark chocolate? What percentage cacao? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's choices. Yeah. There's choices. Cacao. Yeah. Well, they also mentioned hashtag like, not my cacao. Not not my cacao. Uh, uh, Eric Brone also mentioned that uh, the game is probably going to be connected in Stardew Valley in some way. So who yeah. knows? Maybe you can be in Stardew Valley and be like, oh, looks like there's a chocolatier in town now, and it just you know ports you into the next game. Who knows? Who knows? It'd be funny cool. if this was actually the first metaverse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Stardew Valley is the way in. They're going to yeah. do like GTA role playing, but it's Stardew Valley. It's all pixelated. It's all just yeah. pixel art. One guy made it. Yeah, it's, it's very, uh, it's very Ready Player One. You know, uh, what do you think, Mike? Is the, do you think this uh, this has uh, the potential to uh, miss you know a sophomore slump, a, a second game curse? Do you think that Haunted Chocolatier will do as well as Stardew Valley? I I hope so for his sake. I think that. Where Stardew Valley kind of had that slower burn and it brought people in along the way. I think he's going to do a ton in early sales. The yeah. question is, is he going to be able to keep up that update pacing and do the things that he did with Stardew that generated and kept that community over time? So I, I think this really depends on on him and what his, you know, how he's planning for, for post-launch. But also what this means for Stardew, because mm-hmm. right now he's yeah, he's building this game. But in terms of like the public facing side, people are like, OK, well, what's new in Stardew? What's been updated? You know what what bug fixes are in? And if he's handling a lot of that on his own, you split your effort and suddenly things get real, real challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting because there is this that big Stardew patch that still hasn't gone to the mobile versions and. I just, I just can't imagine how one human being is able to do all of that. You know, it's just very impressive. I think maybe he's built like the bones for, I mean, obviously he must have some tools to allow him to make certain things faster and maybe haunted chocolatier, you know, when we say X number of years for the wait, you know, maybe it's not seven, maybe it's three or four because he also mentioned that he can use some of those assets as sort of like the, the bones and the structure of helping him set up this new game. And so yeah. I think, um, over time, like just making something easier and easier for yourself, get faster and faster, and it just is the amount of content that he needs to make, which is why it's so surprising that he's still one guy. Like, you can hire some artists, some pixel artists, you can hire some people to do a lot of things, but you know, 
He's a man on a mission. And I, I yeah. yeah. Got to gotta, gotta be impressed. That's for mm-hmm. sure. I just uh, hope he didn't announce too early. <laughs> right. Yes. I don't want that yeah. chocolate to go bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, too many ghosts. Yeah, you're like, good, 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 good. Um, I uh, I will pick for my story of the week. Um, boy, I'm torn. I'm torn. Um, I actually want to hear Mike's uh, take on uh, Tencent buying more Ubisoft. It sounds like Tencent is in the process of becoming the uh, biggest owner of Ubisoft shares mm-hmm. uh, and is willing to pay more than market value for those shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in 2018, uh, evidently uh, Tencent acquired a 5% stake in Ubisoft. Yeah. And uh, it's important, we important, huge, actually, when they did that. Yeah. It, it uh, was the thing that ended Vivendi's hostile takeover. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they kind of swooped in and, and prevented that from happening. Um. And uh, evidently, uh, you know, the uh, the Guimau family uh, still owns uh, 15.9% of the shares uh, and 22.3% of net voting shares. Uh, but Tencent is evidently offering uh, 127% of the stock's valuation right now. And they are, uh, they're making a move. So what, what do you see? I mean... Ubisoft, uh, with all of these crazy acquisitions we've had over the last three or four years, seems like Ubisoft has been one of those where it's like, ah, could we see it happen? Could we see? Could we see it happen? This isn't exactly that, but I would love to hear your take on what what Tencent's doing here. It, it's interesting because Tencent actually is legally prohibited from going after any more uh, Ubisoft stock without the company's permission. Because when they purchased the 5% stake and bailed them out, obviously Ubisoft took that investment because it was worried about Vivendi's hostile takeover. So they said, we don't want Tencent to be now in a position where it could execute a hostile takeover. So they part of the agreement was they would not increase their stake. <laughs> so in order for Tencent to purchase more, they do need to go to the Gimo family. They do need to go to the company and say, hey, we do want to increase our stake. So... They would actually be looking to purchase not just any outstanding stock. They are actually looking to purchase some of the Gamo family's ownership of the company mm. and become the largest shareholder. Um, it is not an acquisition as we typically talk about them, where someone buys 100% of a company and now they're full, a full subsidiary. This is more along the lines of uh, a significant investment like they have in Epic. So... Uh, it's not uncommon. Tencent does both. They do investments. They do uh, full. Uh, they do full acquisitions. This is kind of in the middle because if they are the largest shareholder, if they do have a plurality of uh, voting shares, then they do effectively control the company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I you love- think that would be something that you could see happening? I'm, you know, this is basically a family-owned company. It, it is, and it has been. And now the Guimau family, remember, Gameloft fell to Vivendi. Yeah. Uh, that was the first target of the hostile acquisitions. Uh, another uh, part of the Guimau family owns Thrustmaster, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they sold that, but at one point they did own Thrustmaster. Um, the, uh, the issue here for me 
is that this story comes right after it was revealed by Axios that Ashraf Ismail, who was, I believe, creative director on a couple of Assassin's Creed games and who was ousted from that company because of his uh, abusive and harassing behavior, is working for Tencent. Classic. <clears throat> yeah, he's working for Timmy Studios, which is owned by Tencent. Apparently. <clears throat> so if Tencent then becomes the largest shareholder and, you know, therefore gets to install whomever they want on the board, which influences the company... We know also that a better Ubisoft has stepped forward and said it's been over a year. It's been, I think, 18 months is what they said, something like that, since we stepped forward and nothing's happened. Literally nothing has improved or none of our demands have been met or addressed. And then you have a company here who's hired on an abuser who was ousted from the company and one of a better Ubisoft's demands is stop moving people from team to team and studio Mm -hmm. to studio if they've been accused credibly of of bad behavior like this so i I think this is a real tricky one i i don't know if this is good for ubisoft i i don't know if it's necessarily worse but i don't (laughs) know if this is great yeah yeah, it's hard to it's hard to know, and it seems wild that Tencent has its uh, its fingers in so many pies right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, ownership stakes in Epic, Riot, Sumo Digital, Supercell, Don't Nod, Frontier Developments, Jaeger, uh, Cly Entertainment, Funcom, and investments in in many others. So, uh, I mean, the reason why Tencent's doing this though is because of what's been going on with regulatory stuff in China. So. They, so if you look at Tencent and NetEase, they have been growing their uh, investment in Western studios because it's safer money right now. They can't rely on the Chinese market. The Chinese market is still hugely important, but with all of the restrictions, all of the approvals that are slowed down, with uh, the issues around uh, game time restrictions for uh, for young players, like it's gotten really tough. So Western investment is the way forward for companies like Tencent. Mm. This is why I love having you here, Mike, that you you have so much better grasp of this than, than I do. And it's so interesting to to see it on this, uh, on this kind of macro level, you know, the see these big moves and you, and you, we hear about these blockbuster acquisitions and we're like, what is it, you know, what is really going on? And it, it connecting it to the global economy makes, makes it all much clearer for me at least. Um, Lana, are you as, as a you know, gamer and a developer, do you pay attention to this stuff? Uh, you know, obviously you, you work for Riot and they're, you know, Tencent owns part of Riot. Is that on the sort of uh, day-to-day level, are, are you and your peers aware of that? Do you have any concerns about that kind of stuff? Um, I would say that my peers probably are. I see people talk, uh, as I often say, make art, not math. And so I see lots of numbers and I'm like, mm, this should be important to me. <laughs> but it's not. Uh, the thing that really, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am uh, horribly out of touch, I would say. Hor- I, I, like, I, the specific numbers, I would say, pretty rarely pop up, like Microsoft 6.5. Uh, 67 whatever billion dollars like that when i remember um yeah. <laughs> right um sure. but for this i mean the only thing that sticks out to, like you see you you were talking mike about like 
you know, uh, Tencent has to like get Ubisoft's permission to buy more. And mm-hmm. the thing that I'm just thinking like the entire as the time is picturing that like, you know, ding dong on the Gamos family's door and they open it and Tencent's there just fanning themselves with a couple billion dollar bills. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. hey, we heard you didn't want us to buy anymore, but uh, how would you, you sell us some? Just swing yeah. and buy for a coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, yeah, I would love to say that I have a very educated take um, that's nuanced and well-informed, but I don't. Honestly, you're not far off. I mean, that's effectively how it goes. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, just not sh- it's just, They're just not showing up at the door. They're just right. showing up somebody the, calls uh, somebody email. calls Eve Gimo and they're like, "Eve, what's up, baby? Yeah. What you want? Uh, just say how would you like uh, more money than something's worth for that yeah. thing? You know, that sounds pretty good to me." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's the way shareholders are going to approve it, right? Because right. I mean, that's and that's how this goes. There's a premium on the on the Activision stock too, right? Right. So when you've got an acquisition, it's rare for for that acquisition to be market value. Typically, there's going to be some premium. It's, it's a matter of like how much that premium is going to be. This is a huge premium, by the way. Right. I'm yeah. at 127% premium if they offer the close to 102 dollars per share. Yeah, the other thing that stood out to me is interesting about what you were saying, Mike, was that you're like, this is not like the way we normally talk about acquisitions. Mm -hmm. I feel like it says Tencent buying more Ubisoft, but would this give them like a huge vote? Would they? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how much the Gimos want to divest Mm -hmm. and they want to get out. I have a funny feeling that what, and and I want to be very clear and I want to preface this by saying like world's smallest violin. (laughs) It really depends on how much the past couple of years have taken out of Igimo and the rest of his family between Vivendi, the credible accusations, the upheaval of the editorial team at Ubisoft because of those of those accusations and finally taking steps to to get rid of toxic elements in their workforce mm-hmm. in their executive part of their workforce. Yeah. So he could just be tired. And yeah. he could he could really just want out and the family could just be like, this is just Killing us. I, I will say that I've interviewed Ibgimo a number of times. I, they were lovely conversations. It was prior to all of this. But when this stuff comes out and you look at this, and it's like you are not equipped to fix the problems inside your company. Yeah. And I think it it is in fact time for them to get out. I just don't know if Tencent is the way, is the right <laughs> yeah. way out. Yeah. Yeah. For the for the workforce. And, and again, to be clear, I, I don't care how much if this is not about what's right for the Gimos, I honestly don't care. They're, they're going to walk away. If they walk away, they're going to walk away with a lot of money and whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm more concerned about the rank and file developers who have been trying to reclaim a sense of safety at Mm -hmm. work and have not been able to, because the company is just not equipped to address these concerns in a meaningful way. And we've seen it in their financials too. They're taking a huge hit over and over and over again. This is actually affecting them. It's it's affecting the the workforce. It is therefore translating to the product. It's not to say that the game's coming out of Ubisoft, and it's important to remember that the people who make the games, who are still there, who are fighting for a better workforce, deserve to have their work celebrated, but it has been tougher for people to celebrate that work because it is associated with Ubisoft. And the same thing goes for Activision. Mm-hmm. So it's a very tricky situation. I just want, 
as a human being, I just want what's best for the people who are working at Ubisoft. I want them to feel good mm-hmm. about the work they're doing and feel like they are respected and treated with the care that they deserve. Preach. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And the best way to do that, of course, is to sell it to a Chinese conglomerate. (laughs) (laughs) Capitalism sucks. It really does. Uh, Imagine if we took a fraction of any of that money and just made things livable and worthwhile with training and process that would actually benefit anybody. (laughs) That's crazy. Shut up, hippie. (laughs) I, I weep. I weep into piles of money. <laughs> well, <laughs> my piles of money. Somebody yeah. else's. Speaking of capitalism, I need to thank a sponsor. <laughs> it's time to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace. Oh, I'm so so pleased to uh, to uh, speak about Squarespace because I have been using them uh, for over a decade. JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace, housed on Squarespace. I recommend Squarespace to family and friends have done for many, many years. It's really just the simplest, easiest way to make awesome, beautiful websites for any reason you might need. And now Squarespace is also the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out from the crowd with a beautiful website. You get to engage with your audience and sell anything your products, the content you create, even your time. How, I hear you asking? Well, Squarespace makes it easy for creators to monetize their content and their expertise in a way that fits with their brand. They have these member areas where you can unlock a new revenue stream for your business and free up your time and your schedule by selling access to gated content like videos, online courses, or newsletters. And if you're in need of creating said videos, the Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. You can easily sell stuff on Squarespace websites. You can sell uh, on an, in an online store, whether you are selling physical products, digital products. Squarespace has the tools you need to sell stuff online. Plus, they've got blogging and commenting features. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to update anything. You don't need to patch. None of that. It's all handled in the background for you. It's awesome. And you also have analytics that help you grow your business in real time. You can learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. It's just a huge suite of sweet features. Uh, Check it out. Check it out for yourself. Go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. You get yourself a free trial. You don't even give them a credit card. You can use the tools without even getting automatically charged for anything. It's just free, real free. And then when you're ready to launch your website, use our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. You'll save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I've used Squarespace to buy domain names too. Super slick front end for that. Really, really great way to do it. Again, squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Get you that free trial, and then when you're ready to to uh, check out, use our promo code. Jeff sent me. You'll save yourself ten percent off. All right, let's talk about the games that we have been playing in our segment, the playlist. Ooh, it's 
What have you been playing lately? What is on your playlist? Well, I'm a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, you see. Mm. And I have children. And I'm <laughs> introducing them to the magic of TMNT arcade games by way of Shredder's Revenge. I still have yet to uh, to introduce my son to this. I bet he would eat it up. I, I, I'm a little scared, actually. <laughs> how, <laughs> how are your children taking to... Uh, the you know the cultural touchstone of our youth, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're loving it. We actually so for my birthday this year, I got a uh, stand-up arcade cabinet. Oh, nice! The yeah. uh, At Games Legends Ultimate Cabinets, and there is a way <coughs> to get a whole bunch of games on that that yeah. don't come pre-installed on it. And so I have the original arcade game and Turtles in Time. Oh, on nice! It. So they've played that before. So getting them onto the couch to play Shredder's Revenge, which is wonderful modernization of the beat 'em up genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just adoring it. So yeah. so they're they're really enjoying it. It's it's great. It man, it, it's just bringing a whole lot back for me. Yeah, I remember going to the bowling alley that had one of the original arcade game stand ups with mm-hmm. the sound blasting, and it was just like I just want to finish bowling so I can. Get some teenage Ninja Turtles. <laughs> well, you, you're in a unique position to have that sort of one-to-one comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is modernized in a lot of ways, but it's been a while since I've played those those old uh, arcade games, even if they've been ported a number of times to a number of places. But as somebody who's, you know, you, you can literally walk back and forth, what are your feelings on the, the way the game has been updated for modern sensibilities? I, I really like it. I think that there are some things that, obviously the original games were designed as quarter munchers. Like Mm -hmm, you took a lot more damage. You you really needed to pump quarters into that. And the same thing goes with Simpsons and X-Men and all of those beat em up games from, from that era. Microtransactions were killing video games. Even then. I mean, for yourselves, I only put in one quarter and then I was good for like two hours. So wow, (laughs) that's impressive. I'm kidding. I'm like, I believe trash tier brawler. (laughs) (laughs) Lana was also four when Teenage Ninja Turtles was out. So, uh, you know, whatever. I feel, I feel <laughs> part of me is turned to dust right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm right there. I, I think like including things like little, little missions and like the collectibles for each of the, the side characters. And, uh, but the big thing for me is like somebody gets knocked out, you can help them up. Yeah. It's the little conveniences that made it clear like, Hey, we're designing this for a very different environment. We're designing this to be played at home. We don't have to be overly punishing to to get people to plunk in quarter after quarter after quarter. Yeah, right. So I, I, I like it a lot. I think that it feels different than the old games, but it makes sense why it does. And I think when Cowabunga Collection comes out, which I think is at the end of this month, and it has the NES version of the arcade game, the Super Nintendo version of the arcade game, it's got the NES Manhattan Project game, which was also a beat-em-up, and then it's got Turtles in Time on it, the yeah. Super Nintendo version. Like, people are going to be able to go back to those. And I think that they're going to, if, especially if they played Shredder's Revenge, you will feel, like, the design sensibilities that led to some of the decisions that were made for those original games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I will say, uh, I don't even know if I want to be on the show the week that game comes out, because Christian Spicer <laughs> is going to talk nonstop. Uh, it's gonna I was just about to say, Christian's not here. Where's the obligatory somebody filling in saying uh, ZOMG, TMNT, 
yeah. me plus them BFF forever. Oh, it's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> isn't just to listen to him uh, talk about it. Uh, can't stand I'll it. To, I'll have to take that week off when Christian Cowbunker <laughs> <laughs> Collection comes out. Um, <laughs> but then, I, I'm curious if uh, I don't know the ages of your of your children, but are they are they connected to the IP or was nope. it like? They're I not. need to tell you about these these mutant turtles, kids. They're aware. They're aware of them. Yeah, but I don't think they're connected, especially to the original cartoon, mm-hmm. because this is very very connected to the original cartoon. The the designs for all the characters. I think some of the voice actors might have even come back hmm. for for some of the for some of them. Have I mean, you played it with six people. I have not. Um, we have. We're playing. We're playing it on PlayStation right now, and we haven't done any multiplayer. I know that you can do it. Um, do it with multiplayer. And I know that you, there's seven characters. Like Casey, I guess gets unlocked after you finish the game. We haven't yeah. finished it yet. Yeah. But right off the bat, it's it's the four turtles and April and Splinter. Um, I am very excited to play a six player game of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder's Revenge. Have you, Lana, Have you four. played six? Oh no, I haven't played it at all actually. But I oh. do have a you know a a friend of uh, Jeff Bodine's, um, my fiance, um, trying to convince us to play some multiplayer uh, long distance with him and his two kids, which I think would be fun. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering what what the chaos level is uh, at that many people. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, I felt like those old games were always very chaotic at four. Six even just seems. Do they like normal. add more lanes to like the like the side scrolling space. So it's like, you know, like a highway, there's a couple more lanes cause there's more people in there. So there's more enemies. I mean, I, I imagine they have to balance it somehow. I'm just like really the 405 in Russia. Exactly. <laughs> those, those side scrolling levels where you're on the, on the jet boards and stuff. Those are, those are tough. Yeah, they yeah. are. They're real tough. Yeah. It's a great game though, man. I, I, I feel like uh, it, it, a lot of people were talking about it intensely the week it came out. I haven't heard uh, much discussion of it after, and I I think that's a shame because it's it it really is one of the best games of the year. I think it's mm-hmm. so so well done and so it, it threads that needle of being an homage, being you know authentic to the old experience, but very much modernized, like you said, and not not just trying to steal your quarter. Really uh, balanced for what we expect from a modern game, which is but not is easy it one to of do, those things. Like it, people talk about it a lot when it came out because they're like, "Oh, great! I played it a bunch, and now I sort of got what I came for from it." Like, yeah. um, I can't think of an, another example right now. Like uh, the one thing I don't know about the game that I think I remember you and Christian talking about, Jeff, is that they have built-in ways to make it feel more like a hobby game that you like want to come back to, but just the nature of it being this like the brawler as it is i i i wonder like is there like a meta game where you're like oh yeah now you're donatello plus or like whatever well like, you you do level your each character up yeah mm. and there mm. are like there are objectives and some of them are really hard like don't take any damage on this level. oh right mm-hmm. right right yeah. and i don't know how people are doing that because it's called hacking <laughs> I, I can only assume <laughs> By the way, quick aside, my son has uh, is obsessed with Super Mario Brothers, and he uh, has been uh, watching some YouTube videos of. Uh, evidently, there are these all these modding tools out for Super Mario Odyssey, and mm. so uh, yesterday he comes into my office and he goes, "Daddy, can we mod a game?" I was like, <laughs> "I don't think I can." 
<laughs> I think <laughs> I think you hit the limit of my my ability to do things, son. <laughs> I used to teach like a game, like how to be a game developer class to uh, people in grade two, and just be like, "Sure, we'll mod go fish." <laughs> Change oh, one, change one rule. Now it's a mod. Like <laughs> add something in. It's a mod of Go Fish. So fun. I like it. He was telling me the mod he wants to do for Mario Odyssey. I was like, that is very ambitious, son. That You're downloading ambitious. 3D Studio Max or whatever <laughs> yeah. on your computer. Like, okay, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's like, a, like a job over here. I will try yeah. it in two months. <laughs> anyway, um, Michael, what is uh, what is what else is on your playlist? Uh, I was playing the Live Alive demo. Yes. I was uh, getting my feet wet with that a little bit. I really like that game. That I, It's one of those things where I definitely would have played it if it came to the West on the Super Nintendo. And <laughs> yes. I'm kind of delighted to be discovering it for the first time as an adult. And I'm really excited that they brought it over because it's fantastic. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of it as well. Um I'm curious. I don't know what what is in the demo or not in the demo. Does it give you like a so full chapter it, or? It gives you the first chapter of three of the different stories. So oh, okay. it is, I think, Far Future, um, Chinese Dynasty, so the Kung Fu Master, yeah. and the stealth part of the ninja. The J- Japan, yeah. Um, yes, uh, that is awesome that it gives you that much, you know, it gives you a variety there because, uh, the, the different time periods play differently in, in a lot of ways. They, each one adds a, a kind of a unique aspect. Uh, and it's cool that the demo gives you, uh, some sense of that because mm-hmm. the first, <laughs> I, I mentioned this on the show, the first chapter I played, I was like, I'm just going to play it in chronological order. Uh, and I played prehistory first. <laughs> which I, I don't think is the best chapter to start with uh, just because it is, it's cute. It's very cute because it's cavemen, right? So the whole chapter is nonverbal. It's all grunts and, and you know, it's, it's a bunch of slapstick humor. Very goofy. Uh, I just don't think it's, it's you know, the, the rest of the game has such cool moments that the prehistory one is just like whack person on head, goof, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like there's this whole smelling mechanic where you can pick up the scent of of bad guys. It's oh, like all right. Uh, anyway, so I don't think that was the best uh, best one to start with. Um, but it's cool that you you know you get a, a variety of them. I have been playing a ton of Live Alive uh, myself. I have uh, a lot of thoughts because, like you, Mike, I immediately took to the game and and really liked it and said. To myself, man, this really feels uh, the nostalgia was 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 powerful. I was like, this really does. I don't play games like this anymore. This is like those old games I used to play. This I love turn based combat. Uh, old, you know, this old sort of RPG uh, way of of communicating to the player, all that stuff. I'm like, I'm digging it. I'm loving it. It's like one of those old games. It really is one of those old games. But it, you know, graphically, it's it's been updated a lot. It looks really pretty. The backgrounds are exquisite. The animation is is cute. But then, you know, the more I played it, I definitely I, I want to finish it because I want to know what what it all adds up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's still a mystery to me. I, I, I have not finished it, um, and I never I don't I haven't read anything about it. I don't know what the the thing is. Why we're playing in all these different uh, time periods. But having now completed three of the chapters, I I also have run into like, oh, 
there are things that got better with video games. There are a lot of kind of old clunky vestiges of a bygone era that we phased out for good reason. You know, like the game has a lot of learn by dying, uh, which is annoying to me where it's like walk around a corner. Oh, what's in this room up? Death is in that room. Death, you know, and uh, there's no no way to, I, I mean, the game does let you save at any point, which is very welcome. And I really appreciate that. So, but I end up saving way more often because, you know, you'll have that thing where it's just like, Oh, you need to grind for a long time before you're supposed to fight this person. But the game doesn't tell you that you're just, you can just walk right up to the next big boss and they'll wipe the floor with you because you're level three and you're really supposed to be level eight before you fight them. You have no way of knowing that. It just needed to do a lot more random encounters than you did. And it's just like, it's very clunky. And uh, some of that stuff, it, it, it has been getting on my nerves a bit when, yeah. you know, like uh, I did the Wild West, which is awesome. It's basically um, Seven Samurai or, or um, uh, what's the Magnificent Seven. Um, uh, very, very, very cool. But it does this thing at the end where you ha- you you fight this really big, uh, battle and then it funnels you right into another battle so that first one is like this massive like sweating bullets oh my gosh can I get past it can I get past it and then I did and then without a place to save it funneled me right into another fight which I lost and so I had to do both fights oh, again oh no Ugh. I was like come on game don't you have an auto save feature just say, auto save it after the first yeah. fight that's that's a put it down and walk away deep breaths. Yes, yes. But there's certainly yeah. a lot to like about the game. I I, I really dig it. I, I am glad that they included the the Chinese era because I think that's a good place for people to start because you start as a as a very overpowered character and you pick up very strong characters along the way. Combat is not very difficult. You get a sense of the exploration. You get a sense of how combat works. And and starting there is good. Because I went from that to the stealth section. And I'm like, wow, this is... I got into a fight. And I'm like, oh, oh no. I got yeah. my booty kicked. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I'm digging it. And I, I have the full game. I just haven't had a chance to pop it in and start playing it. Yeah. So I'm... I'm, uh, I'm I was like really cooking on it for a while. And then I ran into a couple of those frustration points and i i slowed a bit but i do want to finish it because i'm just so curious people say that the you know the back half of the game is really satisfying and really interesting and kind of what it does to sort of tie everything together is is fascinating so i don't have any sense of that yet having finished a number of them um how do people know what the back half of the game is if you can kind of do things randomly i don't know much about it (laughs) like they just motor they just motor through it yeah no i think yeah I, i don't they have time Whatever I think in, in the sense of like the, there's some so like a common thread between all these thread. eras. Yeah, that okay. becomes clear no matter what order you do them. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I'm like the back half out. of the game was the prehistoric era for me. <laughs> right. I was so clever. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. no there's no set linearity to it. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting how they allow that to happen. I think that's kind of a bold design choice to say, mm-hmm. "Hey, you play it in any order you want." Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you are the pacing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's Live Alive. Uh, it is on Nintendo Switch. I wish, wish it was on uh, Steam so I could play it on my Steam Deck yeah. because 
I have to fight time with my switch for my my kids. You know, mm. like, uh, daddy wants to daddy wants to play is his old role playing game. Please, we <laughs> <laughs> stop playing Mario Odyssey for two seconds. Anyway, uh, Lana Bashinsky, what is mm. on your playlist this week? Uh, on my playlist is uh, I've been pretty consistently stuck in the world of Here's the Storm again and Fortnite. Uh, picked up Monster Hunter Rise again with a, a ramp to play the the DLC for Rise, so I'm a little bit behind on that. Um, so I won't talk about those too much. But if anybody ever wants to, I love them. Uh, what, but what, uh, I, what weapon do you do you use in Monster Hunter? What's your preference? Um, I would call some people call me basic, but I'm a sword and shield kind of gal. I like the mobility, um, and I just feel very powerful when I use those attacks. Especially, oh my god, in Monster Hunter Rise, they have um like these uh this mechanic called the wire bugs and so it allows you to navigate through the world which i think i talked a bit about when it first um came up it's a lot more vertical the whole world because you can like wall run and stuff and so you can climb up things and so the the rising that's the that's the rise that's the rise part exactly exactly um but you also get a wire bug move that comes with your weapon that you can sort of change out. And one of the ones that I really like is a counter. So you have to time it right. There's like a pretty tight window where you'll actually be able to land it. And it's, so it's like a nice skill test. And when you land that counter, oh, man, you do, I do like, like this big uppercut with the shield. And it'll it'll hit like for triple the damage on the way up and then like a big stab down on the way down. It feels very good. So still really enjoying that. Excited to try the DLC soon. Uh, but the one game that I tried out just this morning, it's a very short experience. Um, I knew I was coming on the show and I knew that I had been, you know, addicted to the other games that are old games. And I was like, oh man, I need something new to talk about. So I went to the PlayStation store and just figured out uh, like their recommended picks like for the last month or something like that. And I pulled up uh, the gardens in between or no, the gardens between not in between. Mm. The Gardens Between, uh, 9 out of 10 on Steam, um, 4.8 out of 5, Apple App Store, uh, Apple App Store, 4.2 out of 5, Google Play, like lots of high ratings. Uh, and it looked like it was going to be like this uh, co-op puzzle game kind of thing. So I was like, oh, great, Jeff and I can play together. Um, it was not. It's a single player <laughs> adventure puzzle game about time and memory and friendship. We're best friends, Arena and Friend fall into a surreal world of garden islands. Um, and very highly rated in, in what felt like very highly rated, uh, did not didn't love the experience myself. Oh, interesting. Very beautiful. The art was very cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you recall, Jeff, my maquette review. Yes. Um, did not like. Did not like. I like this better than maquette. But it definitely, for the most part – for at least half the game felt like do the only thing you can do, mm, mm-hmm. uh, which I find very frustrating. Um, the game has a very interesting concept that they're using time as a, as a big mechanic in this. So basically the only buttons you ever pressed are forward and backwards and X to interact with something and forward and backwards adjusts the time. And so, uh, and then X is just interact. So there's certain objects that you can, or And as you walk forward in each level, you are also advancing time. You never just navigate around the world like, oh, and now we'll go backwards and check this thing out. It's like you are either walking forwards or everything is playing backwards. Mm-hmm. And so 
it's this balancing act of sort of like walking forward and interacting with something and then walking backwards to sort of rewind how that interaction went with something else. And then you can walk forward with the bridge that now exists, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the puzzles were pretty, pretty simple, simple, very simple, but yeah. I can, ima- I can actually imagine it being something fun to play with your kids. Cause it's about these kids. And one of them's like moving away is sort of the plot. And you just see these little vignettes of them doing cool things and having these memories. So like kind of a sweet story. Um, and there was two levels in the game that I remember actually going, Hey, that was actually pretty cool. One of which you have to sort of like, uh, fast forward and rewind time. And one of the characters is interacting with a radio and depending on where you are in time, the radio is at a different station. And so different creatures will sort of move around the world in different ways. You need to balance between the stations was pretty interesting. Um, and then there was just another that, that used the time mechanic in uh, an interesting way that made me go, Hey, that was cool. And I wish those two kind of examples were more through the whole thing rather than being a lot of, Hey, I pressed right. And yeah. I did it. Um, yeah. yeah. So interesting. Not my fave. Uh, I forget how much it was, like 20 bucks. So felt like a lot for the the small experience that it was. But beautiful art, sweet story. I see value for it, but it just wasn't wasn't my perfect cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, I remember playing this. Uh, I think it came out a couple of years ago. And um, it, it was... Uh, the art is gorgeous. It, you play on these like little islands and each one is kind of themed around a memory, right? It's like, yes. I remember there being one that was like a VCR, like yep. 80s tech VCR thing. And um, one that was like a, like a video game console from the 80s. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, th- I thought just that, that visual uh, sort the sort of the, the aesthetic and the idea behind these little self-contained memory islands. I thought that was kind of a neat, mm-hmm. just sort of visually. But I, I, yeah, I, I think I do remember the, the puzzles being pretty simplistic. I, I feel like there's like, there's also like some elements to like how the mechanic worked where like sometimes time would affect some things differently. Mm. And it was, it wasn't super consistent about how time works and what works with time and what gets paused and what doesn't and what gets played when you're using this thing. Like yeah. it just felt like it wasn't a super tight thread between those things. Uh, something that definitely stuck out to me that made me laugh so hard is like after you finish one of these little islands, there's a little vignette that plays of that, act, like the real memory that these two experienced together mm-hmm. and the video game one in particular, uh, arena like throws a piece of popcorn at the other guy and it like knocks his glasses off and like <laughs> makes this like i was like wow that's a heavy piece of popcorn it just like was very <laughs> i mean caramel corn i might believe <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wow yeah. uh very it, silly it does remind me of that thing that that you see in video games all the time where you'll get the power to rewind time but only works on the glowy bits in the level yeah. you know which is always so frustrating it's like you can rewind time just for that little crumbled part of the wall that crumbled, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's always that kind of thing in video games. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, that so. is the gardens between and uh, it's available on lots of stuff. I think it's on, on like all of the platforms at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, my, I've been dipping my toe into another game that uh, a lot of people have been talking about recently, but I, I almost brought it up as like, this could be an example of things that 
maybe everybody isn't talking about in the in in a, in a month or so, but a bunch of people are still playing. And that is Multiverses, Multiverses, the new uh, WB free to play Super Smash Brothers like. Uh I uh yeah, it's free to play. This is the perfect way to get me to try this game because I am not a Super Smash Brothers fan. I uh, never have been. Uh, I'm sorry, did you were you reacting to that, Mike? I no. was. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I wasn't gonna judge. Okay. Well, no, I, I usually when know. I say that, people are like, oh, uh, because uh, the game is beloved. Uh, Super Smash Brothers beloved by many people. Um, but I'm not one of them. I uh I I'm I am of the you know the Street Fighter 2 uh lineage. Uh and uh just uh, Super Smash Brothers always felt like too much chaos. For me, I I don't like. Why am I trying to knock these people off the? Th- Can I just beat them to a pulp? Do I have to? Do I have to knock them off the platform? I don't know. I just never. Why not both? I guess you're you're right. I guess why not both? Uh, anyway, it, it just never was my jam. It was never my never clicked with me. Um, and so I have barely played uh the the recent Super Smash Brothers uh, iterations because uh you know they require a big upfront investment, <laughs> which I'm not going to do for a game that I'm not thrilled with. But with multiverses, I was like, hey. Free to play. I might as well download it. Give it a shot. And uh, I like a lot of the characters that are in the stable of this WB game. It's It's got, you know, it's got your DC superheroes, uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. It's got your Scooby gang. It's got Game of Thrones. It's got uh, Adventure Time, uh, soon to be Rick and Morty. It's got a lot of really cool characters that uh, that I am uh, that I like. I blasphemy to say, but maybe even more than uh, I'm excited about with a Nintendo property. I like the Nintendo characters, but like, this is kind of cool. This feels more like a wacky mashup to me than, than even smash brothers does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the thing that I was delighted to find about multiverses is that it really has focused on this two V two thing, which again, I have not played a lot of super smash brothers. I I believe 2v2 is a mode in that game. Uh, but every time I've ever played it, it's been like free for all, like catch as catch can. You're on your own, mate. You're getting pummeled by four other people or three other people getting, or whatever it is. You're getting sat on by four Kirby's. Exactly. This Kirby's on the left of me, Kirby's on the right. I'm stuck in the middle. That's me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and uh, well, and I, I jumped into playing multiverses, the the recommended, the funneled mode that you are, you know, you are guided toward is this 2v2. You have a teammate. And I was like, I love this. This doesn't feel so chaotic. I mean, it's still chaotic, but it, it doesn't feel as uh, as just wildly, like I have no idea even who, everybody's beating me up. Everybody's knocking me off the screen. I, I, you know, Smash Brothers is an experience that just felt very overwhelming to me. And I love this team play where it feels like, oh, I a lot of the uh, character moves in multiverses don't just affect you. They affect your teammate. So you can provide shields to them or you can you can grapple them and, and pull them back as they're knocked off the edge of the screen and try to save them. And so it's got all these like this layer of teamwork that really clicked for me and made it so much more fun than I've ever had with Super Smash Brothers. Um, and I just love that the game is like, hey, play this way. Play with a teammate. And I was just playing, you know, you know, solo queue, playing with strangers, no voice chat, just 
jumping into games, just you quick match jumping in. And, um, I was winning a lot and I was having fun and I was, uh, it, it was, it's great. I really dig it. I think the art style is really well done. It captures mm-hmm. a lot of the flavor and fun and, and character of, of all the, of all the characters. And, the move sets are really, uh, really kind of a joy to find out. It's very simplistic. You know, it's basically just two attack buttons and and jumps and stuff. Um, I'm I'm having a blast with it. And also, the free to play trappings uh, aren't super oppressive, super uh, annoying. I, I will say that having played a, a couple of hours of it, um, it, it felt like the track to unlocking more heroes was long like i you know you you can obviously buy real money uh by the heroes it's very much how here's the storm works actually so i was very uh, familiar with that but in here's the storm there was which is the game i'm most familiar with in this template um there were there were you know there were always like you know um variable prices like there were cheap heroes and there were expensive heroes and uh it looks like everybody's expensive the the stable is very small at this point obviously this game is a, it's still not even out of uh, open beta, so it hasn't even been fully released. So there are more characters coming, probably lots more, and maybe that will change as they have more characters to sell. But it, for me, for the just, I want to earn it by playing, and I don't want to spend any real money on it. Really, uh, the road to getting in-game gold felt very slow. Like I was, I was winning matches, I was doing stuff, and I was still, you know, is like glacier pace to get to the point where I could afford even one character but they also do the thing that here's the storm did which is you know they have this rotating group of free characters to play so the free characters this week won't be the same free characters next week and i think that's cool because even if you're just playing it as a completely free 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 game you'll have some variety and you'll get a sense of which characters you actually do want to invest in when you earn the in-game currency so I had a really positive experience with multiverses. I, I was playing much more of it than I thought I would. Uh, I was like, I'll just dip into this and see if it's fun. And, and lo and behold, it was fun. So I was having a great time. I was playing as Superman and Finn from Adventure Time. And uh, who else did I play as? I, I played a bunch of um, uh, oh, uh, Bugs Bunny. I, had a, I was loving Bugs Bunny. Um, it's good times. Have either of you guys tried multiverses? It's, it is free. Not yet, but that's it's on the list. Like, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I, I, I think that free to play is going to become a much bigger thing for fighting games. I, I know that yeah. um, both like Dead or Alive has dipped into it uh, with the core fighters over the last two entries. Um, I think are those the only two that like mainstream fighting games that have released kind of as a <clears throat> as a paid game and then they've pivoted to to like a free to play or, or well even know. Street Fighter was kind of that the last uh, Street Fighter what five uh, mm-hmm. uh was um you know they, they it kind of pivoted into being this live service game where you're just buying you know but I think you still had to pay for the I don't think it was free 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 but I I agree I. You know, who knows what the future for Super Smash Brothers is? It felt like the last release was like this, you know, the encyclopedia. And it's like, we yeah. put everything in that game. And who knows if they'll make another one or anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know where you go from there. Right, right. But I do think that if they do do another one, I said do-do, uh, <laughs> that um, 
there will be some if multiverses takes off or continues to do well and this becomes the new normal there may be some pressure to like well why are we paying 60 dollars for this when all these other games are free i you know i think it really is kind of changing the playing field a bit for that mm-hmm. i imagine seasons is like the thing i always think of now like yeah with uh what is it? I mean, Fortnite and Destiny both have like big seasonal updates. I can only imagine seasons would be like the next sort of next step. Uh, yeah. I have not yet tried multiverses. I am excited to try. I almost picked it up this week and I wish I did so we could chat about it. Uh, but I'm really interested to hear you say, uh, like I knew it, you were on team of two, but hearing that there are sort of utility, mm. like, like, uh, like co-op utility items built into the kits of yeah. the characters to like help your friend out. I think that is really compelling. Um, well, they even label the characters uh, as class types. Oh, so, like, like you would in a MOBA, like they have a uh, brawler, they have a uh, tank, they have assassin, they have you know, those kinds of things you get in a MOBA um, so that you can sort of build a, a little duo that is effective. I mean, I don't know how much of that is necessary. Like I, I mean, I was, I was schooling fools and we were both tanks. So I don't know, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, at least I, they have that, you know, layer there. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's very cool. And also just cause I gotta say it, like that must be the most fun, but also probably incredibly challenging animation team to work on. Like the variety mm, of styles yeah. they have of these characters, like Tom and Jerry, like, uh, and Adventure Time, both iconic animation styles, both so different from each other. Right. And then like these live, like typically live action characters, Arya Stark, I think is right. one of them. Yep. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Fascinating. Also, Rick and Morty always look gross in video games. They just gross <laughs> me out. I don't know. I don't like the way they look. Ugh, so nasty. They are going to be the uh, launch uh, release, evidently, um, which has been delayed a bit. So it's still in sort of open beta. But uh, yeah, Rick and Morty will be the launch <laughs> characters. And I'm very excited to see how they pull those those characters off. Oh, they um, haven't actually shown them in the game? They just they may people? have shown them and I just haven't seen, but they're not in the game yet. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they, I think like mid, mid-August mid is what they pushed back the that too. So I was like, um, oh, maybe I was looking at weird fan art. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure they've been. I, I just haven't seen them, but uh, but yeah, you're right. It 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 actually melds a lot of those different disparate styles together pretty pretty well, I think, and cool. uh, keeps a lot of the character. And you you know see like 3D bugs. I mean, even LeBron James is in the game. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh That's, my gosh, so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think like the the era of these different characters that they choose is interesting. Like I think like they chose like like retro Bugs Bunny look. Mm-hmm. And I I just, I think that's very cool and very interesting because you know that they could be like, oh, here's a skin. It's modern Bugs Bunny look. Yeah. <laughs> like here's yeah. Space Jam Bugs Bunny vibe. Here's, here's opera Bugs Bunny. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. I would pay so much money for the- Lipstick like, Bugs Bunny. Oh, so good. Classic. <laughs> Classic. I, I I would be shocked if that's not coming, you know? I'm, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. that. And uh, it's cool. You know, it's cool. I, I, I think- of all, there's been a lot of these sort of, um, you know, brawler games. Yeah, you know, Sony did one. Um, the Nick, there's like a Nickelodeon one, I think. This, yeah, I mean, the Nickelodeon one's not great. Not great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be better now, uh, but it had no. When I say it had no voice acting when it came out, like it had no barks or grunts at all. 
all. Oh, Not even really? from the animals from the source <laughs> material. Yeah, it was just silent. <laughs> That's funny. Like there were jump sounds and like smacking sounds, but in terms of a game that has SpongeBob SquarePants, <laughs> you expect a little life. You do. <laughs> they just you have do. you get like get that fuzziness where it's clearly like a clip pulled from the show or something mm-hmm. with like all the background noise anytime he talks. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but it does. They did add that finally. Like, but they did some clever things like Garfield. You can't play on Mondays, apparently. Oh, that's pretty <laughs> funny. That's yeah. really funny. Uh, that's funny. That is funny. <laughs> clever. I think I, I do think this WB one, though, is has got more characters that I care about than mm-hmm. any of these ones that I've seen before. You know, these pretenders to the throne. Uh, it's like, oh, I'm. Do I want to play Shaggy? Yeah, I do. Because he pulls out a big sandwich and pummels people with it. Yes, I want to do that. You know, I'm playing yeah. Superman. I want to play Iron Giant. Yes, I do. So, yeah. Anyway, pretty cool. <laughs> Multiverses. All right. Uh, I teased it at the top, so we better get to it. Let's uh, take a little tabletop time. Right now. Right now. One of the reasons I love having Mike Futter on the show is uh, you're always playing board games. You're uh, into tabletop, and uh, I'm curious what has been hitting your table lately. Uh, if you have not played Return to Dark Tower, mm. I, I strongly recommend recommend it. Uh, Restoration Games, they're just fantastic. Yeah, the stuff they do is just they did. Uh, was it Return to Fireball Island? Yep, was one of theirs. But Return to Dark Tower, it's an app-enabled game. It works well. That tower, the mechanicals in it, just are super cool. And it's and it's a really fun game. And uh, if you didn't get it, if you were interested in it, if you played Dark Tower as a kid, uh, which has no, no relation to the Stephen King property. Right. Um, so, it's not you know, the Dark Tower. It's, it's not the Dark, Dark Tower. tower. <laughs> it's just Dark Tower. So... Yeah, they're running. Uh, they are on. Uh, are they on Backer Kit? Is that where they are right now? I'm typing it into my computer. Game Found. Maybe. Are they on Game Found? Or are they on uh, Backer Kit? They're on Backer Kit. Okay. So Backer Kit recently got into running their own campaigns. Backer Kit being a pledge manager tool that a lot of campaigns on Kickstarter have used. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just launched uh, their own crowdfunding effort. And uh, so they're doing a reprint of Return to Dark Tower. And um, oh, actually, wait. Oh no, the second. Yeah, yeah, it's on. Uh, it's on back. Uh, so yeah, so if you if you didn't get it, if you're interested in it, if you want to check it out, it's on Backer Kit right now with a with an additional expansion and some of the other uh, accessory type stuff that you can get there. I I'm really really enjoying it. it and it's a, it's got that full three dimensional tower on the table. Yeah, the tower right? is the centerpiece. It it. Uh, it has sound effects. Mm-hmm. It, what? Uh, the yeah. So the way it works is at the beginning, the tower is effectively sealed, and there are little seals in front of all of the different windows. So there's four different players can play at once, and each one of them represents a kingdom at one of the cardinal compass directions: north, south, east, west. And what happens at certain points during the game? the tower will will come to life and rotate. And what ends up happening is on your turn, you'll drop skulls into the top of the tower. 
And sometimes they'll spit right out and sometimes they'll get lost. And they won't emerge until the tower rotates or you pull a glyph or you pull one of the seals off, which is bad for you because it means that something is going to get harder if it rotates in your direction and lights up. Uh, you have, there's, it comes with tokens and then there are miniatures for the heroes, but there's also a miniature expansion that you can buy so that all of your dire wolves become three-dimensional heroes. Um, and your goal is, depending on which of the missions you're playing, you have to defeat the big bad before the lands get corrupted and you lose. I am, uh, I'm looking at it on backer kit right now. Nine days left as of our recording. Uh, nine days left. Uh, they've already made 1.4 mil out of a. And that's the second printing. Second printing, yeah. A uh, friend of the show, Rob Davio of Restoration Games, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have to buy this. That is, I'm just like staring at a picture of it while it's set up. It is so spectacular. And then they have these gifts showing like dropping little skulls in the top mm-hmm. of it and it spits out the side. What is happening? It is so gorgeous. Wow. It has some of the best table presence of any board game I've ever played. Amazing. And it Amazing. made 4 million in its first run on Kickstarter in when did this go? Um, and it's fun. It's fun. Just it's verifying really it's not good. like, wow, that's so beautiful, but ooh, yeah. Ooh, and real that's snooze. the thing about restoration games is they take it they they take games that were around when in the eighties or so, and they update them for modern sensibilities. So Fireball Island actually wasn't a great game, the original one. Yeah. The new one, they've done some really cool stuff with and they've made it a fun game. This is so much better than Fireball Island, though, and not just because of the table presence of the tower like obviously the tower is the whole centerpiece but the way the game is designed it is it's challenging like a co-op tabletop game is uh you you know tabletop games that are co-op need to keep the pressure on but they also unless you're arkham horror uh need to give you a a real shot at winning (laughs) and uh this one this one feels really good to play and you can depending if you make make good choices and you really consolidate power with with you know the right players you can actually become very powerful and and start to to make combat a little bit easier but because of the way the skulls work and because there's a ran, that randomness to it and how they fall out of the tower you could very unexpectedly lose a key building and no longer be able to shop mm. or no longer be able to uh clear corruption or other you know or some other thing that happens so the randomness of the tower spinning the randomness of the skulls pouring out that's that's a big thing that happens you know to kind of keep you on your toes but there's still a strong element to strategy there it's a lot of fun to play and there's a lot of different scenarios um the only thing i warn people is you know with any app enabled game you know technology is a thing and it progresses and at some point you know, my precious copy of the XCOM board game, for instance, is not going to work. I am yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So okay. this is kind of the same deal. Uh, Mansions of Madness Second Edition is fully app enabled, but a game like Descent Second Edition uh, or um, or Imperial Assault, those still have modes. I believe. Well, I know Imperial Assault does. I think Descent Second Edition does as well. Those still have modes where where it's all player driven, and you don't. There's no app whatsoever. 
So, so app-enabled games depends on on your taste. If you want something that you're sure is going to last forever and you can pull it out in 30 years and it's going to work just fine. Yeah. So app-enabled, can uh, I have played games that have app, like companion apps alongside of them. App-enabled mm-hmm. means there are key pieces of the game that are yes. part of an app. Does the app control the tower yes, mechanics? It does. It's connected to like an iPad via Bluetooth. Or oh, an I see. I see. Uh, so yeah, there are some games that absolutely require the app. Absolutely. Uh, Mansions of Madness <laughs> first edition was a one versus many game. You had a game master. Mansions of Madness second edition was fully app enabled. So it required the app. XCOM, which is also a fantasy flight game, uh, was full, you need the app. You can't play that game without the app. Gotcha. I, uh, have been barely listening because I might be dropping 150 bucks right I now. Was just, I was looking at <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, yeah the uh, just the base game was a, was 150 on backer kit, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm going to do the 300 every expansion. All the yeah bells the, and whistles the expansions. Thing, but... I will say this: the the two expansions which you will be able to buy later via Restoration Games website. Uh, assuming they're still in stock. Like I picked mine up. I didn't back it on Kickstarter. We actually picked ours up. Um, Amanda and I were in Rochester, New York, where I used to live. And we were visiting friends and we went to the National Museum of Clay, the Strong Museum. And they had a version, they had the original in one of the displays and she was looking at it and I'm like, yeah, so that's you know the game that kind of inspired Return to Dark Tower. She's like, why didn't we back Return to Dark Tower? I'm like, you told me not to. <laughs> so we came home and we purchased um, the pieces of it that we could on uh, on on their website. And now for, with this, we're going to get the new expansion, and we're going to get the the coffers expansion, which it upgrades the the cardboard the minis, components, the plastic the minis. The minis, if you, it depends on what you're looking for from table presence, right? If you're cool with cardboard tokens for the enemies, you don't need the minis. If you like to paint minis, if you want. To have, if you play D&D and play with minis, and you want to have some cool-looking minis that you might be able to add into the mix, you know, there's the minis expansion that you can get for it. That all it does is is give you a way to put more 3D models on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm not going to get the mini for Colossus of Bjorn or half I, of the first profit. I know my audience. <laughs> <laughs> Oh so, yeah, yeah. But play. I can I can say that it is a fantastic game. It doesn't just look good; it plays great. Well, that is good to know. And again, that is Return to Dark Tower, and uh, you have uh, nine more days to uh, to order it on on Backerkit if you are so inclined. Uh, anything else uh, hitting your table? Um, you know, I will say that I'm getting back into games that I can no longer purchase, which is just the dumbest thing in the world for my wallet. <laughs> but I will say this. Uh, this was inspired by a Polygon story that uh, was a Gen Con aligned story uh, about something called Project Nisei, which they're changing the name because Nisei is an appropriative term and they want to move away from that. But it is a a fan uh, reimagining. It's not even a reimagining. It's a reinvigoration of Netrunner, which was a living, co- which was originally a collectible card game, um, and was re-released or revitalized by Fantasy Flight. Talking a lot about Fantasy Flight today. Uh, As a living card game, which meant that it wasn't random buys. It was every, if you bought a pack, the next new pack of cards, it had every copy of a card you could possibly imagine in that set. So you can put three copies of a card into your deck. There are three copies of that card in 
the set. Uh, it ran for a number of years. They lost the license. So uh, Project Nisei, what they did was all new art, all new cards, uses the same rules as Netrunner. And Fantasy Flight's version of Netrunner was pretty similar to the original version. Uh, but but they're printing, you can print your own cards through drivethroughcards.com. And they have a number of sets. And Fantasy Flight, because you can't copyright game mechanics, you can copyright the art and you can copyright sound in a video game, that sort of thing. There's really no issue here. So uh, there was this great write-up on Polygon. And we went and we ordered uh, some, of the, some of these new Netrunner cards, which are actually really good they're they're a lot of fun to play with even though they're not quote official from from a big publisher uh so yeah so netrunner's getting back to the table that is awesome these guys actually reached out to me uh the, i can't i can't find uh the name of the group uh they have a a, a name but yeah it's it's yeah, all project Nisei is yeah, sorry that's what you said name. it yes thank yeah. you um yeah, they reached out to me and they were like, you know, this is totally grassroots fan. We just didn't want this game to die and we're kind of making it ourselves and making it happen. It's all uh, print to order or print on your own. I just mm-hmm. love the spirit of that. That's so it's cool. Great. And it seems like a really good group of people. And I think this is the kind of thing where I'd be like, eh, really? Do I want to drop some money on this? But their approach is we want to release, they release their own new core set, which has learning decks for both corporation and runners and then they have a bunch of cards so you can start to deck build from that so similar to how fantasy flight used to release uh core sets for for games except for the fact that in the old days with the living card games up until marvel champions pretty much uh or maybe arkham horror card game fixed this so between those two you had to buy multiple core sets in mm-hmm. order to get enough copies of the cards to fill out a deck. So Lord of the Rings card game was one of them. Yeah. Netrunner, you had to buy multiple core sets. Warhammer 40k Conquest, which died long before it should have because they lost the game's workshop license. Uh, you had to buy multiple core sets. Uh, Project Nisei, their core set includes all the, the full number of cards that you would put into a deck. And then they have some expansions they've already put out. And you get them through drive-through cards, and they're printed nicely. I'm very excited to get ours, and uh, I'm very look very much looking forward to getting Netrunner on the table. If you yeah. used to play Netrunner or Star Wars LCG or Warhammer 40k Conquest, and I'm sure there are others, and you don't mind playing digitally, there are uh, workshop mods for Tabletop Simulator. Oh, cool! So you can play. That is another way that you can play these games. But I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big fan. Of this, if so, uh, Richard Garfield designed the original Netrunner, mm-hmm. and Star Wars LCG was designed by Eric Lang, who's one of my favorite designers. There's a lot of good stuff out there, and and you know, thank goodness for things like Tabletop Simulator, where you can preserve these games, and then yeah. thank goodness also for people like in the, in the Project Nisei community who are keeping Netrunner alive with new with new cards. Yeah, and such a great game. I mean, truly asymmetrical really wild and you decide that you pick changes completely how you play and yet competitive and balanced. It's, it's an amazing game. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. But Lana, I know you have been playing a bunch of tabletop as well. What have you been playing lately? Well, I'll kind of go through them 
pretty quickly. The, the three games that I listed out uh, for today anyway uh, are kind of s- similar in theme. Uh, Horrified, American Monsters, Camp Grizzly, and Campy Creatures. So uh, all three games are kind of tied in with like, classic monsters or sort of um, – I think Camp Grizzly is more like a ho- like a horror flick trope, uh, and then Campy Creatures is very much like classic monsters. Classic monsters being like Frankenstein, vampires, kaiju, etc. So like, I love those folks at uh, Keymaster. Do they make campy campy creatures? Do, yeah. Oh man, okay. I really that's that's the one I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. So horrified American monsters, um, it is where you play co op as a team against. Um, these classic, uh, like um, American nightmare beasts, so Bigfoot, Mothman, Chupacabra, um, Jersey uh, Devils in there. Jersey Devils in there. Uh, you pick a couple randomly. I fr- it's actually been a, a couple weeks since I played this one, so I forget some of the exact details. But basically, your mission is to work together to defeat these monsters and try and protect the townspeople. Uh, the board, I think, was really beautiful, but the way we ended up playing, we were able to pretty easily like cheese the Bigfoot <laughs> into like <laughs> one corner. You wait, were you were you messing with messing with Sasquatch? <laughs> oh, we, we were messing with the Sasquatch. We just kind of had him like in a loop, but, like he had like certain ways that he could interact, or like he couldn't go back on his footprints. I don't remember what it was, but we could just, just kind of like keep him in a corner and like pretty easily disposed of the other two. So we kind of went through the game. We're like, great. Well, I guess we won. No, okay. <laughs> Next did game. You, did you play uh, the Universal Monsters version of Horrified? No. Okay. I'm, I'm curious how they line up, if, well, uh, I, if if one is better than the other. I'm curious as well. And I'm also curious uh, to see if, like, maybe there's, like, a first play, like, where we're missing some depth. But something about it just feels like, man, we really kicked through it in, like, no time. And then as, like, a, a compare and contrast kind of thing, we immediately pay, played Camp Grizzly right after because uh, they both had a very similar feel like from like uh, just an overall mechanics. There's something out there that's trying to kill you. You're trying to save like uh, in Camp Grizzly, it's the campers and in uh, Horrified American Monsters, it's the townspeople like sort of similar elements to it. But Camp Grizzly, oh man, it is so fun. Not just in this, like how the game is played, but how deep they sort of go into the thematic so you have Otis, who's like a, you know, he's like a hockey mask kind of killer guy. And he'll just pop up wherever. He's so threatening and so much like, wow, that is what it's like in horror movies. I don't, how did he get here? I don't know. He's here and he killed that guy. <laughs> um, versus like the other game, it was like, everyone's really present on the map the whole time. It just never felt like, I never felt very threatened. Um, but then Camp Grizzly is like, they call it semi-cooperative because you're like kind of working together, but they can be like plot twist, you know, you know, Becky's boyfriend came out and, and now he's convinced her to like leave all of you in their dust. And he's like, if he gets the keys, he'll like convince like her to like ditch everybody. And then you'll all like be stuck getting like getting got by Otis while they escape. <laughs> and so it's like at some point there's a plot plot twist that ends or that changes how they get you're playing with each other. Uh, and then at the end, you like pick like an ending to the game or something like that, like a movie ending. And it's sort of like the climax of this horror film. And it just uh, thematically was very interesting to play. The art was really cute. Um, And even though the board art, I think was arguably like more plain than um, horrified American monsters, which is like very detailed and sweet. The board is a lot easier to sort of parse, like very easy to see all the different pieces that you needed to care about, which was just, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very fun. Cool. 
So that um, is Camp Grizzly and uh, Horrified American Monsters. You said the, the, your favorite of the three, though, is Campy Creatures. Yes, Campy Creatures is very simple, like very short rounds. Um, I think you can play with up to five people, and it, each round it's sort of like um, it's like a bluffing and sort of like a social deduction kind of game, where you have I forget how many creature cards, maybe eight or nine, and each of them have like a, a power that does something interesting. So the blob actually takes the number of a different one of your choosing of, of what other people have put down. Uh, vampires, like, um, I don't remember now. What I'm trying to think of what these things are. It's been a bit since I played it. Yeah, it's the, been a while since I played it. Too. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so here we go. The blob discard a creature in your hand to absorb its strength. Okay, so it's it's actually goes the slowest. So if it, you're trying to go faster or slower to like get these cards from the middle, I forget what they're called, but they'll be like, oh, there's there's teenagers. Like you're playing as the monsters trying to attack these civilians, and there's like journalists, I think, and teenagers can't for some amount of points. It's almost like a sushi go kind of thing with the way you're trying to count up points, hmm. but how you get like obtain the points uh, from these cards in the middle is the speed at which you play your card. And so um, the swamp creature give the mortal you capture to another player. So if there's like a crappy one on the board, you can play a swamp creature and be like, great. Now you have a negative five. Um, <laughs> and like the Kaiju's power is just that it's the the highest one in the deck. And so if you play the Kaiju, you're like, I'm going first, baby, let's go. Um, but the mummy, if they know you're going to play the Kaiju and somebody plays the mummy, you go first instead. And so you're kind of looking at what cards people have already played to try and see how fast you can go and just get these points from the other cards in the middle. Um, the rounds are really quick. It's like funny to sort of like out try and think people be like, okay, I know all you have in your hand is the blob and a kaiju, the highest and the lowest. And which one are you going to play next? I don't know. And like trying to play your creatures in the right order to sort of get what you want. But it was, uh, uh, very sweet. Like, like the box is like super tiny little, little box with all these different pieces in it. And, uh, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was like a good quick round kind of game. Um, super fun. Awesome. That's Campy Creatures. Uh, very, very cool. Very cool recommendations. I love that they're like thematically grouped. Yes. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> I have been uh, on a major uh, board game acquisition uh, <laughs> track. I've just been, uh, I, 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 I had a birthday. So I have, uh, I got, um, I finally got Viticulture, which I haven't played yet. Mm-hmm. I got Sleeping Gods. I got Ar- uh, Ark Nova. All these games, I can't wait to get to the table, but I haven't gotten to the table yet. So uh, just, you know, preview for a, a future tabletop time when I'll talk about those. But uh, I'm excited to kind of uh, come out of the the fog of, of COVID times and like actually play some board games again. It just hasn't hasn't happened in the last couple of years. But uh, that's tabletop time and that's our show. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Mike Futter, thank you so much for being here, man. It has been a blast having you. Thank you so much for having me. I always love coming on, man. Oh, man, we love having you. Uh, Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff you do online. Sure. Uh, On Twitter, I am at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. I record on a mostly weekly basis, the Virtual Economy Podcast with my partner, Amanda Farrow. Uh, That's over at virtualeconcast.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we run a consulting business in the video game space. Also, uh, if you're curious about that, you can check us out at f squared.biz. 
Have I been mispronouncing your name this whole time? Is it Footer? It, it is, but here's oh, the thing. I'm the worst. No, no, no. Dude, like literally everybody. But I, do you want to hear a funny story about it? Please, please. Real quick. So, um, <laughs> so my family used to own a shoe store. <laughs> and uh, it was called Footer Shoes. And one day uh, we were visiting my dad uh, at the store and we were leaving. And I looked at my mom and I said, mom, did, did we call the did we uh, call the shoe store footers because it's funny? And she's like, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to explain it to her. Amazing. And I wasn't joking that I wasn't, I'm like, I'm asking you a question. Our last name is footer. Our family owns a shoe store. She's like, I'm just getting that now. That is funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Amazing. Well, I uh, I apologize for. Uh, oh please! I think don't worry m- about it. Multiple like, appearances now. Yeah, it's uh, fine. Truly, I won't make that mistake again. Uh, we really appreciate it, Lana, <laughs> whose name also gets mispronounced too frequently. <laughs> I, was, I was ready for you to be like Lana. Yeah, <laughs> Lana. Yeah, that would have been, been funny. That would have been clever, but I yeah. didn't do it. Um, <laughs> what do you got going on this week? Anything you want to plug? Um, well, if anybody wants to, uh, chat with me about, you know, heroes of Fortnite or anything game related or just generally, um, I don't know, my Twitter, I use Twitter. <laughs> my Twitter handle is at Latienai. That's L-A-T-I-E-N-I-E. Um, also last week we did something pretty cool, uh, with Anim State, which is a group that I am a staff organizer for at the crossroads of animation and video games, where we did our Anim State of the Industry survey and we, uh, had our professional data scientist, um, uh, Adam Clark go over the results and they were very, very cool and very interesting. So if you're a game dev or you're just interested in the games industry in general, you could head over to twitch.tv slash Anim State. That's A-N-I-M State, S-T-A-T-E. Um, and we have the VOD up of both the survey results as well as our game, de- a game developer live round table that followed. Um, it was pretty cool. So check it out. Yes. And if you want to hear more Lana, uh, on our show, uh, <laughs> consider becoming a patron. She's, uh, she's with us every Wednesday for the paid DLC show, uh, which is tons and tons of fun. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash DLC pod. And Lana, I, I, cannot tell you how much i want to jump in on a game of heroes of the storm with you oh uh, my so gosh that is what, do you think, what do you think i'm doing right after this baby are you doing right after this <laughs> almost oh, certainly oh man if i wasn't think editing this dumb show i would uh you didn't even curse you didn't well not after i edited you won't have <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I will uh, definitely ping you to get involved. Please. I, I, there was one night where I couldn't do it. And now I feel like you've given up on me because I'm so, <laughs> such a flake. I gave up on myself. <laughs> I am so out of the, out of the loop on that game. I feel like I'm going to go in and be, none of my old skills will transfer over, but I, I love that game so much and I miss it. Anyway, uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also have uh, other shows you can check out, including the uh, fan-controlled show, which is a show uh, ostensibly about sports, but it's a bunch of goofballs uh, waiting for the next season of fan-controlled sports to happen. Uh, And it's a lot of fun. You can find us on Twitch. We're a podcast now. Uh, We're on YouTube, uh, really everywhere. Spotify, twitch.tv slash FCF for fan-controlled football. Uh, but that show is on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Uh, I also do the uh, the film cast, talking about movies and TV shows. You can find that 
uh, wherever you get podcasts by searching for the film cast. And I do a comedy science show with Anthony Carboni. We call it We Have Concerns. Uh, it's, it's funny, but you can learn stuff uh, as well. It's good stuff. Wehaveconcerns.com. All right. Let's wrap the show up with our parting gifts. Mike, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Uh, Blackbird on Apple TV mm. is fantastic. Taron Egerton uh, is the lead in it and making a good case for him potentially playing Wolverine. In Ooh. You saw his name floated. Nice. And this is uh, Ray Liotta's last role, too, before he passed is, away, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the general plot is... Uh, Taron Egerton plays a character who is a drug dealer, gets arrested, goes to prison, and is presented uh, and is hit with the maximum sentence. He's going to be in prison for ten years, which is he took a he, he pled guilty and they hit him with more than he thought they were going to. So they come to him like, "Hey, there's this serial killer, and uh, we're going to make a deal with you. If you get him to confess to uh, all of these murders and help us find the bodies, we'll commute your sentence effectively." problem is you got to go to supermax and mm. um you know this uh, it's they're releasing it uh one episode at a time it's the season's not done yet and uh so far it's it's absolutely fantastic and the uh the guy who played richard jewel mm, in yeah that movie is the is the killer he was also in cobra kai he played stingray in cobra kai so a lot of a lot of range on him <laughs> um and then greg kinnear plays a cop um he's always great so that's that's really good. And then if you happen to be on Apple TV and you haven't watched Severance yet, definitely get on that before it gets spoiled for you. I agree. One of the best shows of the last few years, Severance. Mm-hmm. I have not tried Blackbird yet, but ah, man, so many people talking about it. I got to check that out. It's real good. All right. Those are both on Apple TV Plus, uh, Blackbird and Severance. Lana, what is your parting gift? Um, My parting gift, I, I don't know if I haven't actually finished last week's episode. So sorry if somebody recently gave this as a parting gift, but honestly, I don't care because it's so good. It deserves to be mentioned. Again, Light and Magic on Disney+. Plus. Um, I know we are probably going to be talking about it a little on Wednesday, so mm-hmm. definitely um, y'all want to check out that. It is so good. It is a documentary series with six episodes about industrial light and magic, ILM, George Lucas's visual effects house. Um if you have ever enjoyed movie magic or I don't know, like star Wars or Indiana Jones or like anything the it's, it is out of this world. I don't want to like say too much about it because I, I think it's worth just like sitting down and watching it. But, and maybe this is because I'm such a dweeb and I wanted to work there for so long, but it was like making me emotional. The amount mm. of just amazing footage that they have. It's so, so cool. Um, yeah. It's, it really is. Oh, Very it's good. great. It's yeah. great. And it's also just this testament to teamwork and camaraderie and and like the ability to just do the impossible because you decide you have to. You want to. Yeah. yeah have it's, to. <laughs> it's so great. It's so yeah. great. I agree. It's on Disney Plus. That's light and magic. Uh, my parting gift is uh, a new movie. Hopefully you've heard of uh, on the debuted on Hulu instead of theaters. I wish it had been in theaters, uh, but it's called Prey. And it is a uh, side cool prequel. I don't know. It's a it's a cool some cool 
of something uh, of uh, Predator uh, happens to be directed by uh, one of my best friends, friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg. Um, and uh, I mean, it's awesome. It is truly awesome. Uh, Dan describes it as a labor of love. Uh, I know it was because I talked to him throughout it. Uh, this is an idea he had many years ago. Uh, I remember him bringing up this this notion uh, when we were playing D&D one time many years ago. And here it is, a real film that you can watch that will blow your socks off. Uh, it, it, what if Native Americans had to face a predator uh, in, the, in the 18th century? And uh, it, 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 it's incredible. And I can't be more proud of my friend for doing it. And it just, it's been getting, Rolling Stone called it a masterpiece. It had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes last time I looked. Everyone's loving it. So I, I wanted to uh, suggest it on the off chance. Anybody listen hasn't given a shot yet. Prey, P-R-E-Y, on Hulu. We also got a, a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, this one comes to us all the way from Norway. It comes from uh, Hilsen Lars As Olsen, which I'm sure I mispronounced. Speaking of me mispronouncing names, I'm sure I didn't get that one right at all. Uh, but uh, Lars writes, uh, hey, DLC gang, after eight years of listening, I figured it's time to submit a suggestion for a parting gift. I'm a huge fan of pop punk hardcore band the flatliners wait a minute christian's not even here we're getting pop punk suggestions <laughs> man uh, their newest album new ruin was released last friday and it rocks chris cresswell vocals are among the best in punk and the energy uh, and the energy filled riffs always wake me up right greetings from norway thank you lars apologies for undoubtedly butchering your name uh, but we really, really appreciate that. I know uh, Christian will be delighted. I'm sure he's probably heard the Flatliners, but this is the Flatliners and their newest album, New Ruin. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. We love getting those at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Mike Footer and Lana Bashinsky for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan and Zero Star for those bumpers. Thanks to White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold for our theme song. Thanks to each and every one of you. And special thanks to our top tier patrons, the Hype Train level patrons who get a, their name called out individually, which I'll do right now. Well, it's time to thank some very special folks our hype train patrons folks like David Epp Aaron Trahan John Sisko Curtis from Louisville Relentless Rex Michael S Andy Joyce Matt Valdez Kyle Starr Anthony Goulas Dan Flanagan Sasan Rob Rickman, Hank Patton, Adam Denby, Scooby Diesel, Cheesy Bob, Victor Valenzuela, Jonathan Talbert, Jeff Luxack, Matt Bradley, Chris Zacharias, 
Will with 1L Harris, Jonathan Putney, Mitchell Ness, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mark Gowan, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, Scott Hughes, Ben, Kevin Brazel, Jenny, Nate, Stu Goss, Zachary White, Jonathan Spiceman Forever Schlepfer, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast, Yick, Soren Silk, Mike Lombardo, The Spiceman Silencer, Travis, Jackson, Michael Buck, Michael Stadler, Nick Strauss-Klein, Peter Olberg, Jad, Josh Peake, Christian Bravery, Taylor Wiggert, Octavian Ratziu, and Jason Novak. Thank you to all our Hype Train patrons for making this show possible. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.